Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Civil Trials. This is the discussion show for the Murder Board Podcast. I'm your host, Walter, and tonight I'm here with a special guest, Adam. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Today, we are discussing the 1995 David Fincher film, Seven. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, this is your spoiler warning. But if you have, I hope you enjoy our little show here. So, Adam, like I said, first, welcome to the show. You're, me and you kind of go way back. Yeah, man, we're OGs here. So, um, man, from us talking, it's my understanding that, uh, number one, David Fincher is your, from my understanding, David Fincher is your favorite director. I know he, I've told audience out there, David Fincher is definitely one of my favorite directors. I love Gone Girl. I love The Social Network. I love Fight Club. Uh, I, we, the only other movie we've, we've done on this podcast is Zodiac, which was back in July. I wasn't too big on that one, but I definitely enjoyed it. But, uh, so my question for you right now is, uh, is David Fincher your favorite director? If he's not, who is? Yeah. When it comes to movies, man, it's so hard for me to pick favorites. Like whether it's a favorite movie, a favorite director, um, I kind of like do it in like a top three. And so I would say he's definitely part of like, like I'm a huge Scorsese fan, huge Chris Nolan fan. And then I put Fincher right up there with both of them. All right. Yeah. I like that list. I like that. Uh, I think, yeah, David Fincher is probably my, he's in my top five. I don't know. I think last time I said he was like my third favorite director. Uh, my number one is always Christopher Nolan. And then, uh so i think number two it's between tarantino and david fincher like those two kind of battle it out for me but mm-hmm. i think yeah and then uh man i have, I have so many i really like as of recently i really liked uh ari aster who's done like hereditarians midsummer i really liked uh jordan peele and i also really like uh luca guadagnino who's done like call me by your name and he also did the remake to suspiria but yeah, so I would have to really think about it, but yeah, yeah, I I, I like that, I like that. Uh, David Fincher's, he's he's awesome too. He's awesome. Um, so yeah, when we like going back to when we've talked in the past before, uh, I remember you really championing Seven. So is Seven your favorite film by David Fincher, or uh, is Seven like your favorite movie of all time? I would say Seven's probably definitely my favorite Fincher film. I like Fight Club, but just it's a little too out there to be my favorite of his gone girl i really enjoyed yeah man seven's a classic and it was like the first time i saw it i was pretty young so it just has always stuck with me and it's always gonna have a place like in my mind oh uh, yeah i got you there i definitely i have a ton of the, i have a ton of those movies <laughs> just when i watched them when i was young and i was like yep this is staying here forever which is it's just so it's just so baffling because uh this is my first time this was my first time watching Seven, uh, being such a big fan of David Fincher. This is, for some reason, I just haven't seen this one. And this is the movie that's kind of, like, made him famous, which is hilarious to me. But, uh, yeah, this... Oh, wait, we're going to talk about it. But I, I, I'm glad to hear that Seven was was your favorite and kind of a, a stepping stone for you in the past there. Yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Um, so we're gonna take a short little break and then I'm gonna come back and spew some movie facts on the movie seven. Detective. 
After this, I'm Detective. gone. No big surprise. Detective! You're looking for me. What's your fucking move? On the fucking floor. Keep away from him! On the fucking floor! I know you. Now! Get out! Get down! On your stomach, you piece of shit! Now! All the way! All the way, fucker! Down! Faster! Faster! Faster, fucker! Now! Those on the ground! Jesus Christ. The fuck is this? I'd like to speak to my lawyer, please. God damn it! Alright, so we're going to talk about some movie facts on the movie Seven. So just to run down some basic info here. Uh, Seven came out September 22nd, 1995, directed by David Fincher. Uh, the screenplay is by Andrew Kevin Walker, and the film stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, John C. McGilley, and I don't know if we're allowed to say his name anymore, but Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yikes. <laughs> Yeah, I was I totally forgot about everything that happened while watching this movie. And that was I was as I was writing the notes down, I was like, oh, are we allowed to do this now? <laughs> like, ooh, and it sucks because I really used to really love Kevin Spacey. Oh, yeah. I mean, the dude acting wise, he was great, but yes, but you just like, can't oh, get God. behind him in his personal life. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing with like Brian Singer, because I'm a big X-Men fan and he did like most of those movies. And I was like, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so it's, the plot goes as this for seven. When retiring police detective William Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman, tackles a final case with the aid of a newly transferred David Mills, played by Brad Pitt, they discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize that they are dealing with a serial killer, played by Kevin Spacey, who is targeting people he thinks represents one of the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mills' wife, Tracy, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who is pregnant and afraid to raise her child in the crime-ridden city. The film's budget was $33 million, and the film's box office took in $327.3 million. So, big success, I think. I'm not really yeah. good at math, but big success. <laughs> the film was nominated for Best Editing at the 68th Academy Awards, but lost to Apollo 13, a movie I have never seen. <laughs> it's a classic, but, man, I would have gone seven. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, uh, so, just a, some more little fun facts about this. Uh, the film was inspired by the writer's time of living in New York City. He said the community where he lived, he would walk down the street and observe one of the seven deadly sins without even trying. And that kind of sparked his idea for this screenplay that we have. And um, I mentioned back when we did Zodiac that I find it hilarious that David Fincher's first feature film was Alien 3, another movie of his that I have never seen. But if you know the Alien movies, Alien 3 has kind of a bad reputation. Yeah, I mean, I actually have never seen Alien 3 either. I like the original, but I've always heard that it wasn't that great, so I never got around to watching it. Same. I Yeah. Like, I rarely try to, like, not watch movies. Like, you know, Seven for me, I just, I could just never find it or never, like, catch it. Like, it was, you know, it's just, like, it was dodging me. But I have actively dodged Alien 3 until I feel like it's appropriate to watch it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I got to give it a chance eventually, but... Yeah. As of now, I just haven't I haven't felt like it yet. 
Yeah, and I'm a huge Alien fan. I love that. I love the first one. Love the first one. Same, dude. It was a great movie. Yes, it is. Um, so yeah, that's um just some of the uh basic facts about Seven. Not a lot. This movie is extremely simple. I know the production was pretty rocky, um, from what I looked up, but it can all be kind of just you know what movie production isn't you know riddled with tons and tons of just random things happening. But um, I yeah, I think the biggest controversy for this movie was that the studio wanted to change the ending and they really fought to keep the ending but um yeah i, I think heard, uh, brad pitt even threatened to leave the movie if they changed the ending yeah i did find that quote so uh, i think we'll discuss it more towards the end but yeah it, it's extremely interesting how they tried to like replace it with other things which is like the dog's head i think and i was like well, well, well what will be the point yeah. <laughs> if you change it, it kind of ruins the whole movie if you change this ending yeah i mean the ending is what makes this movie this movie yeah it, it's iconic and it's so memeable that i knew the ending <laughs> before even watching it oh yeah uh, thanks to vine r.i.p vine but uh so yeah well we're gonna take another short break and then we're gonna get into the actual movie seven sweet you like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to come inside five years. Not here. Now, they're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Ah! Let's finish it. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. all right so we're back and let's talk about seven yeah like i said this is my first time watching this movie so when it began i i usually try to like pay pay attention to the opening shot because usually the opening shot of a movie kind of like it says a lot of where the movie's going sometimes that's if the director know what he's doing. I'll say uh, David Fincher definitely pulls out all of his best 
tricks in this one. Uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you noticed about uh, David Fincher, but what I love about him is that he he quote unquote hijacks your eyes. He usually moves the camera so subtly that you're following each and every movement of each and every character so so microscopically, and I just absolutely love it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's really evident in that ending scene. The camera's kind of like chaotically following Brad Pitt. Yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, the movie really begins with a kind of a prologue. We see uh, Morgan Freeman, and who I was actually surprised that he was the the protagonist mainly. Like I knew he was in it, but I thought he would be like the secondary character because I've always known Brad Pitt. So uh, it 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 kind of spoke to me that I was like, oh okay, he's the main character, and you know, black man usually not the main character, but. It, I, I I liked it. I liked it. Um, he's getting ready for the day, I guess. And it kind of reminded me of uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street and how that movie begins because it's just so weird and just Freddy making his glove. But here we have a cop getting ready for the day. Uh, he has like a metronome, which I thought was weird, but uh, it might be thematic for the movie. Yeah, I noticed the metronome throughout, but I never was able to piece together kind of what that imagery or that symbolism was. Yeah, uh, I mean the ticking. I guess the ticking time clock, but it's not a clock. I I didn't know. I didn't. I tried to look into it, but I couldn't find anything really to it other than that. Um, I mean, thinking on the fly here, maybe Morgan Freeman because he's retiring, he's giving himself that that ticking time clock, but it doesn't really play much into the movie. Yeah, I thought it was gonna have a bigger role. Also, we get introduced to our characters fairly quickly here. Like I said, we get introduced to Morgan Freeman's Somerset pretty quickly. They're doing a uh, they're doing a crime scene. Of, I guess is a a woman was shot or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They introduce him there, and we kind of get a glimpse into what's going on and kind of what he's about. Yep, that he's just extremely tired, and everybody's tired of him. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then we got Brad Pitt coming in here, bringing bringing the energy that I think everybody knows Brad Pitt for. This man, I I I like love hate him in this movie. I don't know why. He's like he has some great moments, but when he's not like you know getting a chance to really act in the scene, he's kind of annoying to me. <laughs> yeah, bro. this is my kind of comparison for him. I kind of compare him to Naruto a little bit. He's got, uh, He's got, like, all the talent and, like, all the ability, and he's, like, so motivated to get in there. But it's just, like, you need to, like, hold him back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's, man, he just comes up in this and just starts talking shit, and it's like, oh, God. We got to deal with this kid now. Yeah, but we also get introduced to uh, Mills' Mills's wife and his side. Um, later on, they invite Morgan Freeman over for dinner, and I'm like, all right, this is nice. And then, um, what? Brad Pitt goes, how are the kids? And then she goes, oh, they're in the room. I'm like, wait, they have kids? Oh, no. Because I knew, because I already knew what was gonna, the ending was going to be. So I'm like, oh, there's kids? I never remember there being kids. Turns out it's just dogs. So Yeah, I was, dogs are the kids. Yeah, I was um, like, okay, they got me there. Yeah, that scene, I really felt like I didn't know what was going to happen. I had never, like, I was too young for all the memes and stuff. But yeah. I was like, this scene is definitely like foreshadowing something i didn't know if it was going to be to like gwyneth or if it was going to be to the dogs i just knew something was coming yeah this this movie throughout from the moment it starts you just feel like there's just something going to happen and it's going to be absolutely terrible 
And I love that feeling when I, I love that like tone and feeling within a movie. Because oh, yeah. not, not a lot of movies do that, or at least like from what I've seen. But when they do, I absolutely like fall in love with it. I love that, that foreboding feeling. Yeah, and I think Fincher did a great job with it in this movie because they don't show you any of like the killings, like any of the actual like action taking place until later on in the movie when they interact one on one with Spacey. But yeah. uh, instead, it just kind of builds and builds. Yeah, like this is a like it starts off as a police procedural type movie, you know, very akin to like Silence of the Lambs or Along Came a Spider, which is another Morgan Freeman movie. But like. You're right. We don't ever see any of the actual killing. Uh, we do get like a title sequence where and I didn't piece it together till the end of the movie, but it's really just Kevin Spacey chopping off his like fingerprints. So other than that, we don't we don't really get m- much violence and like you know we don't actually see any of the killing, which is yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but uh, when they were doing promotion for this movie and put out the trailer and like the movie posters, they didn't put Kevin Spacey's name on it. I so, did notice. Yeah. So they didn't like reveal who the killer was. So they purposely were trying to like keep us in the dark there. Yes. But then again, it's like nowadays having the, uh, the hindsight, it's like, Ooh, you know, they, yeah. they actively cut Kevin Spacey out of a movie and replaced him with another actor, like not too long ago. So it's kind of like, oh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that's kind of a foreshadow. Yeah, a, a foreshadowing of life. Um, <laughs> another thing I caught, um, it's when, so we see Mills getting ready for the day to leave. And he's like in bed with Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. I'll get to Gwyneth Paltrow. I have some things to say. But like, I love how she calls him out for like a minute. She's like, I thought we, we moved here to get away from all like the noise or whatever. And it's just like <laughs> trains and stuff happening outside. <laughs> And then um, she calls him Serpico, which I, I had, had to laugh at because um, I don't know if a lot of people know who Serpico is. Do you know who Serpico is? I don't. All right. So Serpico, he's a real dude. He, if I'm remembering correctly, because first off, I know because it's an Al Pacino movie from the 70s. And he plays a cop who goes undercover and he ends up dying. Um, it's a really good movie, but it's also a really slow movie. I'm trying not to get it. I'm speaking slowly because I'm trying not to get it confused with another movie called um, uh, Cruising, where Al Pacino plays a cop that goes undercover in the gay uh, sex scene, S&M sex scene. That's what happens in that movie. So Serpico is kind of like the straightforward version of that, where it's a it, again, it's based on a real dude, but he goes undercover. And uh, by the end of the movie, he ends up dying. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, meaning it's been like two years, but I've only watched it once. But. Uh, yeah, so she called him Serpico. I was like, oh, I know that reference. <laughs> yeah, that had some meaning behind it. I wish I knew what that meant at the time. Yeah, I recommend the movie, but just be prepared. It's ex- it's extremely slow. <laughs> yeah, Pacino's got a few like that. Oh, yeah. Um, So we get to the first body, which is Gluttony. Man, oh, man, I was not prepared for this scene. <laughs> No, I had no idea what to expect. So then we get this man eating himself to death, and I was like, "Damn!" Like, I was like, "Can that happen? Can people do that?" <laughs> like literally forced to eat till your stomach explodes. Like, oh god! <laughs> and it's so funny. Like when they get there, he's like, "Well, his face is his face is in a bowl of spaghetti." 
then Brad Pitt starts asking all like the dumb questions, and the guy's <laughs> like, "Look, if he was alive, he would have stood up by now. He's dead." <laughs> Thought that was funny, but uh, yeah. So the first body, uh, his face is planted in a bowl of spaghetti. His hands and feet are tied, and uh, there's a bucket under the table. Now I I'm gonna be honest here. I didn't catch what was in the bucket, and I didn't go back to see. So can you? clarify what was exactly in the bucket there i didn't see what was in the bucket i'm trying to remember like i know you don't see it but they say like brad pitt looks under it and i'm trying to remember i i, I don't know if he said if it was like shit or if it was like vomit I thought it might have been vomit from overeating oh okay because i know that, a guy, that would be my guess but that's just a yeah. guess i'm yeah, because I don't think the guy was cut open or anything, but no. so he was hit in the back of the head, which was, I thought was like, oh, <laughs> this this guy is just a jerk. Yeah. So then that aut- that autopsy scene, too, with the body, just like spraying it off. I'm like, yep, that's David Fincher. Up close of the stitches and everything, that's mm-hmm. classic David. So from there, the investigation kind of starts. Um, but it's not until like the second body where they realize that okay this is a thing but morgan freeman character does go ahead and tell them that like this is just the beginning someone's doing something here what i did catch was that the number seven is all throughout this movie which i would expect it to being a movie called seven but i didn't expect it for it to be like so secretly in there yeah oh yeah he was really hammering home the point of the seven deadly sins yeah, like it, you know, it sticks out to you at the beginning of the movie. Um, you know, he tells you, "I got seven days till retirement." So I'm like, "All right." So much like Zodiac, we're gonna be jumping around and during like the weeks and days here. Um, and then during like the, I believe the second death, which is, I believe, greed is the second death. Greed, am I right there? Greed, the attorney. I think you're right. Yeah, greed. Uh, they before we see anything, the guy uh, who's uh, I can't remember what he, I don't think he had a name, but he goes to the, the media approaches him. He's like, look, I give you guys seven minutes to answer all these questions and then I got to go. So I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, uh, what I did learn is that towards the end, when they're driving in that field and it's finally, you know, it's not raining for once. Um, it Apparently all the cell phone towers or whatever they were, what those are called, they were shaped like sevens. So, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, it's one of yeah. those like if you don't really look, you you miss it type things. But I thought that was pretty, you know. David Fincher, he, uh, he's a I said it in Zodiac. I say it again here. He's a very detailed director. Like this guy is sneaky, and he will put things like you know the whole thing about Fight Club is that there's a Starbucks cup in every shot, and you know he literally flashes a dick in your face throughout the movie. <laughs> so yeah, this, I read a thing that said uh, he respects his audience. <laughs> yeah but like man he makes you work for it i was looking yeah, all throughout this movie i'm like all right so what am i what do i need to catch here like i was looking way too hard and realized oh it's just the number seven is everywhere like there's a bus later on with the number seven on it three times i'm like okay i get it but i love it i love it again he's he's i feel like his directing this time mainly in the the look of the movie it was was his focus the editing kind of takes a takes a forefront towards the end when you do get more frantic shots and everything. But at the beginning of the movie here, it's it, you know it's it's his it's his. I feel I feel like he really took his time and really tried to like make sure you understand these people and make sure you understand 
um, what the motive is for the killer? Yeah, um, everything is really well developed. You know, he gives you clues that you're supposed to be looking for. It's like you're, he almost involves you in like the investigation. Yes, I, I absolutely love it. Because he doesn't show us that action. So it's like we don't get to see what happened. He wants you to figure it out. Yeah, we only get the bodies. I, hmm, I, I asked this during I I had I had listened re-listened to my Zodiac episode and I had asked this question, but like, are we allowed to have like our favorite murders in a movie? And I don't know why, but I always <laughs> it's always David Fincher's movies where I'm like, man, I love this, but it's like, am I wrong for loving this? But I think greed is probably my favorite death, even though they don't spend a lot of time on it, bloodletting someone to death. And then in their blood, writing greed on the floor to me, just like, you know what? I get it. And it's like, I don't know. I just like the visual of that. Oh, yeah. He was meticulous, man. Every detail went into those deaths. He didn't yeah. miss one. I love that he drew the the the, the glasses and blood on the, the wife's face, who was just so happened to be out of town that day. So mm-hmm. that was, yeah, I, I think that's my favorite of the seven here that that we get to see but yeah greed was um man okay let's take a let's take a moment here and discuss this the seven deadly sins uh i mean we're i'm not gonna recite them because we're gonna go throughout all of them they're they all show up in the movie but like when was your first time like learning about the seven deadly sins growing up yeah man well being catholic you know i had a pretty good idea of them early on as a kid, they always kind of terrified me because I was like, I feel like I fit into these. Uh, <laughs> but like, I think the point is that we all kind of do, you know? Yeah. I guess if you don't do it to an extreme, then you're okay. Right. You know? Everything in moderation. Yeah. I yeah I grew up in in Christianity, so it's slightly different. They tell Christ well, from my understanding, looking back when I was a kid, growing up in Christianity, they tell you that, oh, it's fine. God forgives you no matter what. But then it's like, if you do something terrible, it's like, oh, oh no. It's like, well, pick one. But uh, yeah, I, I am, yeah. No, go ahead. So I was going to say, no, like, God can be vengeful when he needs to be. Yeah. It's like, not, you don't want to test him. Definitely don't. And then some people do anyway, which is baffling to me. <laughs> but, yeah, uh. Spacey certainly has. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And so my I didn't even though I grew up Christian and I did read the Bible, for some reason, the seven deadly sins never like spoke out to me. But it wasn't until I watched anime in middle school and I fell in love with um, Full Metal Alchemist. I don't know if you know that. No, I've never, never seen it. Okay, so Full Metal Alchemist, it's a it's. I won't even get into it, but the main villains are all named after the seven deadly sins and they're all their powers, like their abilities represent that. So lust, she, her her fingernails, she's a, she's a very sexy woman and her fingernails extend to very phallic points. So, you know, lust, uh, envy can transform into any person that she wants to. Gluttony is a big guy that eats his stomach opens and he eats people. And his stomach is like a bottomless pit. Uh, and then you have Pride, who is just this like all-seeing person. Um, and then in my my favorite of besides Envy was Greed, and his power was literally just like I th- I know he could shield himself, 
in, in one of them, his 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 abilities were weird because there are two different animes on it. But I know Greed was always my favorite, but his powers were so undefined to me. But he can like create a, a second skin and shield himself, but he can also be like very indestructible and just like suck energy, I think. So I don't know. But that's that's what that was my understanding of the seven deadly sins. So I've always found them interesting from then on as like fictional things. I know uh most recently Shazam, the movie their villains were the seven deadly sins or they were based on them. So, uh, so seeing that a, a David Fincher took that and made it the, the center of this movie and really grounded it to a, a very horrific level. Like I haven't seen anyone do this before, especially in such a thriller type movie way. Usually if you go into the seven deadly sins, they try to make it as monstrous as they can. But here because they frame it with a guy, just a regular dude that they don't know, like they can't identify him, but it's just a normal dude doing all this is kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, who knows what people in society are capable of? This movie probably gave people ideas, man. And that's even more that's even more scary. <laughs> but uh, so we get back into the movie here. Um, so uh, the big conflict. Let's talk about Somerset and Mills here. Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. I find their dynamic interesting. They were, they, they're not the normal buddy cop formula, which is you have the the straight man and you have the oddball goofball type dude. And you know that's basic status quo, status quo in comedies and action films. But because this is like a thriller, they're they're more tamped down. But they seem to be both acting on temper. Is what I kind of got. Like again, Morgan Freeman's character, he's he's retiring, so he just wants to leave. And I found it interesting that he didn't want the case, even though he's obviously the one for the case. Like, you know, they kind of let you know that early. Yeah. And then you got uh, you got Mills here, Brad Pitt. Like you said, he's very giddy in this movie and just, uh, just man, he just won't calm down. But he wants the case, but they won't give it to him. But they both go home and they both do the research and we get Dante's Inferno. And I believe uh, forgot the name of it. I think Dante's Comedy. It's, it's some had a comedy in it, but I'm very familiar with those two. Um, I find those two stories interesting. I had just watched the movie about Dante's Inferno called uh, The House That Jack Built. Um, if I recommend it, I, I don't know. That's how weird that movie was. <laughs> but uh, I, so them both doing the research for this, I found was, you know, normally I kind of clock out around these kind of scenes where they're just doing research because it's kind of like, all right, you know, the action will kick up at some point. But I really enjoyed this part of them both going, like, you know, Somerset goes to the library, and then uh, Mills just kind of goes home and does it. So I wanted to see what you thought about those two, because obviously they clash, but they both kind of share the same brain type thing. No, yeah, they're very complimentary. You know, Somerset's very laid back, and uh, maybe doesn't act on his emotions as much. And uh, Brad Pitt, you know, he's just ready to get after it. He wants to attack everything he does. No fear. You know, he thinks he's the he's the guy to stop all the bad guys. And he doesn't really realize, like, it's like the famous quote, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And that's, again, kind of weird. Especially because you have Brad Pitt here. And, I, you know, around this time, I'm, I'm not really privy to Brad Pitt's career. But, you know, he's never been my favorite actor. But around this time, I guess he was pretty famous. Like, you know, the whole Angelina Jolie thing was probably happening. No, I think he was dating Gwyneth Paltrow at this point. That's why she's Yeah, he was. Movie. So 
again, he's that, you know, I, I, when I think of Brad Pitt, I only think of like Benjamin Button and then anything he did in Tarantino. So I should probably look at more Brad Pitt movies. I know this was uh, a little after a river runs through it. Okay. So yeah, again, a movie I've never seen. I should probably look into it. I did see the movie he did after this, which was 12 monkeys with Bruce Willis. So where he played a very mental, funny mental patient. Yeah, but, I've uh, never seen it. I need to check it out. Yeah, I think it's rec- It's about time travel, so you got to take notes while watching it. But <laughs> it's it's entertaining. Yeah, I you know I grew up with Morgan Freeman. He's been in, you know he's obviously I feel like for our generation he's God. We all know him from Bruce Almighty. Of course. <laughs> but you know he's done a, a tons of movies. Like I said, uh, I remember specifically watching Along Came a Spider. I believe it's kind of like a, a he's kind of a detective cop kind of sort of a spy but you know that movie is about kidnapping so seeing morgan freeman in this role here was kind of just like yeah that's that's who you get you know at this time that's who you get you know i don't know who else would be able to play a cop other than uh what anybody from the lethal weapon movies and john saxon who was probably old as dirt at this point <laughs> yeah but no, morgan morgan did a great job and uh the role was really meant for him yeah he he really I liked I liked his character more. He really took the time to think, and I, I liked that we were able to think with him. Again, him doing the research, you know, research has never been entertaining until Morgan Freeman did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could listen to I could watch Morgan Freeman do his taxes, and I'd be entertained. <laughs> yeah, he, definitely taxes and all. Um, but I do I do really. It took me a while to get it, but I do like the conflict between the two cops, which is that. Like you said, Brad Pitt believes he's the hero. He wants to go in, grab the bad guy, and restore order. As simple as that. But Morgan Freeman, he's a bit more jaded. He's obviously tired, and he just thinks that the world... I don't know. Does he think the world can't be saved, or does he think that the world isn't worth saving? Well, I think that evolves throughout the movie. You know, Mills kind of... In a way, Paltrow Paltrow dying um, really kind of opens Somerset's eyes that the world is worth fighting for because he has got that quote at the end he's like um hemingway i believe said yeah that the world is good and it's worth fighting for and somerset said that he believed the second half of that so maybe he doesn't believe like that the world is good but he believes that it's worth fighting for and that there's still like hope yeah i can get with that and you know um just for clarification this episode is um Kind of a bonus, but I'm gonna count it in for season three of the podcast. But you know, in you know, we're film, we're not filming, we're recording this at the beginning of November, but this episode won't come out till a little later. But uh, after this episode, we would have done on you know, if I'm thinking chronologically, if I'm gonna put these episodes out, we have we will be doing the Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight kind of touches on the same type of themes that if the world, you know. Uh, is the does the world what am I trying to say is the you world know, is, worth uh, fighting for yes thank you thank you so much uh, my brain died for a minute oh, but good. yeah so that I don't know that theme in a movie has always like captured me because like I live a day-to-day life and I see the world as what it is normal and I you know I've grew up I don't know about you but my personal I've grew up knowing that the world overall is good but there is evil out there so when I see these movies kind of take the stand of saying like no 
the world is evil, but there is some good out there. It kind of shifts my perspective on like philosophy and life. Cause it's like, wow, that seeing, seeing that reversal kind of just captures me. So I don't, I'm curious to what you think about it. Yeah, it would help in the sense of this movie. They never discussed like what city it takes place in. And I found yeah. that really interesting because is he trying to represent like this city represents all of the world the city represents like New York. Like, what is it supposed to represent? Um, what's the message here? And I am more along the lines. I'm a more optimistic person in general. It's like I'm not going to be naive and say that there is an evil out there, but I believe generally most people try their best to live a good life. And you know, sometimes we get a little off track, but that's going to happen. And uh, typically, most people have good intentions. Most of the time. But yeah, so I like I like the way you put that because, wow, this movie, this movie really, like you said, it doesn't specify what city it's in. I, I just assumed it was New York, given because the writer based it on New York. But you're right. They never specify what city it is. Um, New York does have this secret history that people just kind of don't talk about now. I guess if you're not a New Yorker, you don't talk about it. But New York was a very, very dangerous place at some point. Like, it was oh, yeah. very dangerous. Like. And, um, and the even, thing about this place is that, like, New York, it'll have its, like, days where there's sunlight outside and it's a nice day. But here, there was never a nice day. It was always gloomy, always rainy. Yes. it's. I wrote that in my notes. I was like, wow, it's always raining. Why is it always raining? And I <laughs> I realized, <laughs> okay, this whole thing is the, the whole storm of darkness type, type deal is what I gathered from it. Yeah, and then it's kind of funny. The darkest part of the movie is when it's the lightest outside. Yeah. Because you got Kevin Spacey's got like that little sun halo over his head in one of those last shots. I did notice that. Yeah. His bald, bald head. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Another, another, another um, David Fincher staple is that that use of yellow. I noticed it when, or really just use of color, and he usually uses color to like pretty much like define a character's moment but i i love the way he uses color oh i know in zodiac he used a lot of yellow and green so in this movie yeah because it it, kind of feels blue but there are moments where things are very saturated like like i said maybe my my love for that greed death scene or when they find the, the second body is you know a lot of it is just like potent red in this white room and the fact that you find out that he was bloodletted like oof <laughs> i get it but yeah that end that end climax of just all yellow just yellow field yellow everything so it really drives home the point in the mood of the movie so let's shift over to gwyneth paltrow here who honestly this is kind of a thankless role until the end yeah i mean i wonder if she if it really mattered who played this role or if they just gave it to her because of Brad. Um, I, I thought she did fine with it, but overall I didn't find it super impactful. Yeah, and I like Gwyneth Paltrow in most things. When I think of her, I normally think of Glee because she was on there for a, a bit. She had a few good episodes. Um, I also think of just like her most, like you know, I think of Iron Man and all that. Uh, so watching this movie, I was like, wow, Gwyneth Paltrow has... You know, she has that reputation where I guess women don't like her for a while, but now she's kind of, now she's just, 
as an uh, a person, she just comes off as weird. You know, she does all this like goop stuff, but she's a bit she's, out there. Yeah, but she has she is such a great actress, and the scene that she gets in here, I feel like, wow, she is she's outshining Brad Pitt while also being on the level of Morgan Freeman in those moments where she's just talking. And I'm like, wow, she is really good at this movie. But why did they get her for this movie? <laughs> I just couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah, same. I like, I really enjoy her work here, but I don't know. It had to have been Brad Pitt. Um, but I'm glad she's in it. She was just, she was a young one too. She's only like 23 years old when she did it. Yeah, she's, um, I love Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, but she's the the thing I thought about after watching it after it went off. Uh, I was like, wow, she gets she gets screwed in a lot of movies. Like you know, uh, I don't know how up to date you are on the the Marvel movies. Like did you see did you see Endgame basically? I did. Okay, yeah. So like you know, throughout that whole franchise, her her husband is just disappearing, dealing with PTSD, and then she gets possessed by like nanobots and, like to explode, and then her husband dies. And I'm like, wow, she just gets screwed in every movie she's in. Uh, I think of Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a movie I absolutely love. But in, at the end of that movie, you know, slight spoilers, but at the end of that movie, her her boyfriend was murdered by the guy that she liked, who turned out to be a con man and took all her money. Like, she just never gets a break in any movie she's in. <laughs> nah, maybe she's a masochist, man. She likes these roles. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because she's so sweet when she does, like, interviews and stuff. But, yeah, she just, she can't ever catch a break. Uh, somebody needs to make her like Wonder Woman or something. She needs a break. Yeah, make her indestructible. Somebody. Like her whole head came off in this movie. <laughs> but I yeah, so she they have their dinner scene and she develops this relationship with Morgan Freeman's character. And then later on they she meets at the diner and um she tells him that she's pregnant and that she's worried. Her name is Tracy in this movie, by the way, which I absolutely love. But She's like, you know, I'm pregnant, but I don't know if I want to bring this baby into this world, which is a, you know, good conflict. I found it weird that she told the partner first rather than the husband, but he does tell that story about how he had a relationship and that he used he he drove it away out of like fear. So, uh, what what do you think about all her little side plot here with and how it affect Morgan Freeman's character? Yeah, I mean. Oftentimes, we're a little too, like, prideful or embarrassed to, like, confront our partner about this stuff. So we always go to, like, a confidant. You know, even though our problem can probably be solved by going directly to the person whom it concerns. But it's just human nature to kind of confide in someone who's not, like, directly affected by the situation. Um, She was just getting advice, you know. I mean, Morgan Freeman's been in this city his whole life he's seen the underbelly of it he knows the worst it has to offer and i wouldn't necessarily worry about bringing a kid into that world as long as your parent you the parents are there for him yeah. but you know she's just scouting everything out and getting an opinion from a man who has been around the block a few times yep from from the look, from the look of his eyes maybe a few too, few times too many yeah he's seen too much yeah so let's get back into the deaths here. I believe the third body is Sloth, and that becomes, yeah, third body is Sloth, and that becomes apparent because they feel like they found the killer based on, um, I believe, in the during the, the greed crime scene, or maybe just the home, they find fingerprints of help me, 
And I thought that was that was clever. Like for a serial killer to like put someone else's fingerprints and like create a word out of that, like that's clever. Like, you know, you gotta give somebody some kind of props for that. Yeah, this now this is about as meticulous a killer as I've seen. The only exception being maybe Hannibal in the T V series. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. It doesn't get much more detailed than this. Yeah, and I, I put that in my notes. I'm like this when we finally meet him, which we'll talk about, but I was like, you know, he feels like a Hannibal villain. Like, he feels like he, you know, Hannibal, like, uh, you know, he did one of his little sessions on him and then, quote-unquote, set him free, and now he's just out there. Like, he feels like he went to therapy with Hannibal, and Hannibal was like, you know what? You can be useful. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I see it. Yeah, plus, you get points for referencing Hannibal before I did, because I love that show. Oh, it's great, man. I just got into it, and I'm hooked. Oh, yeah, man, I love it. But, uh, yeah, so Sloth, man, this this is probably the most the scariest part uh, when they find the body. <laughs> but uh, before we talk about that, I do want to talk about the, uh, or I just want to reference, the, like, my favorite line in this uh, is when uh, they're looking for the fingerprints and trying to find a match. And it's before they get to the drug dealer slash uh, child molester. But um, they're looking at the computer. It's, like, trying to match up the fingerprints and Brad Pitt gives a line. I'm paraphrasing, but Brad, uh, someone tells him like, you know, who could do this? And Brad Pitt goes, there's a ton of freaks out there. Uh, the voices made me do it. Dog made me do it. Jodie Foster told me to do it. Like I thought that was funny. <laughs> All of things that have actually happened. Um, I believe hmm, like the voices can be just schizophrenia. Um, but I know the dog made me do it. Which, which was that? Um, I believe that was son of Sam. That uh, that killer, who was a real life killer who operated in uh, New York, and then Jodie Foster told me to do it, which is a reference to the the guy who was inspired by a taxi driver to go and assassinate a president <laughs> for Jodie Foster and like stalked her for a bit. So again, yeah, that I I just find it really funny. Yeah, whatever you think, like the worst thing a human is capable of, it's like there's somebody out there who very well like could do that. That's exactly. frightening to think about. Yes, like, oh, man. It, it just makes you think. It's like, Jesus Christ, this guy was motivated. Yeah, and it's weird because it's like, think about, like, the best action that a human could do. Like, just the absolute nicest thing a human is capable of doing. And then think about, like, the absolute worst thing that a human is capable of doing. I feel like the thing that they're wor- capable of worst doing is the most memorable. Yeah. If that which makes is, sense. Yeah, I agree. It, it, which is, again, frightening. But it's like, be, you know, a person's kindness can be so, like, limitless, honestly. Like, the the most kindest act someone can do, it, it, you know, I at least I envision it when I try to think about it. It's like, it's limitless. Someone can just, you know, any amount of kindness is limitless. So if you try to think on the other side of the spectrum man people could there could be there you know you think something's dark like you said and then someone could do something much much worse yeah and then you got a society today that some people glorify that stuff like i remember ted ted bundy kind of had a little popular phase for a while it's like what are we doing people yeah (laughs) yes like anytime anytime one of those serial killers get a movie some there's you know get the fan club coming out there it's like yeah, he murdered like 14 people, but he's so hot. Oh yeah, you got I, these women like Ted Bundy's kind of a dreamboat. 
You're like, yeah. Oh. Man, it's not even the women anymore. I remember, like, there was, um, what was it? Uh, a while ago, I believe the beginning of the summer, it was like, uh, hashtag gays for Charles Manson. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's so out there. Like, he, I don't even think he was a, a he appreciated that, but okay. Yeah, I don't I've, think Charles Manson was a big supporter of y'all, but I mean. Yeah, but uh, well, go ahead then, you know. But uh, it's, just, it's hilarious. So yeah, Sloth, this body, scariest moment of the movie, honestly, because they, I like how the cop is like, get out of the bed, go, and he just, you just can't get out of the bed. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, this man. Okay, so this one was really interesting. He was tied to the bed and confined for a whole year, and then on the year, on the, like, I guess the one-year anniversary that he's been tied to that bed, they find him. Again, most meticulous serial killer ever. Like, that's some high-thinking stuff right there. And, you know, for him to just leave all of the samples for the guy out there, proving that that's the identity, but, no, they thought they find the killer, and it turns out he's one of the victims, and he's sloth. And he's still alive. That part, oh god. Yeah, that that there aren't many like jumps in this movie. That might be the only one. Yeah. Um, but that was that got your heart rate up. Definitely. And it's like, oh god. Um, from there, they do some more what research? Yeah, they do more research and they in investigating, but they end up coming upon the apartment of John Doe, which is like his first mistake. Usually serial killers have, you know, they, they make mistakes. And I guess this is the one part that wasn't a part of the plan, which is why he sped things up a bit. But yeah, uh, and this is I think this is kind of what made him fixate on Mills because he was like, wow, he got close to me. Like this guy's kind of special in a way. Yeah, I definitely caught that because the whole chase happens and then he held he, you know, he, he almost gets he almost gets him and he, he ends up getting held by gunpoint <laughs> hit in the face and he chooses not to shoot him there, and he goes, he runs off, which I thought was okay. That's why Brad Pitt becomes targeted towards the end of this. I was like, all right, so things are. It was at that point I was like, okay, this is wheels are turning here. And immediately after that, they find the uh, the fourth body, which is Lust, and this one was horrifying. Oh my god. Yeah, this one was pretty messed up. I mean, Fincher. Fincher's probably got some problems in his yeah. mind, but I don't know how he thought of it, but Man. something that I never would have dreamed of. I was like, who who would create that for there to be a blade at the and No, you gotta be a little twisted. Yeah. Even even I can't think of something like that. But like, Jesus Christ, like that poor woman. <laughs> and then it's like that poor guy, he had to go through that. Man. Yeah. I mean, she's lustful. Like, she likes sex because it feels good. She don't want to be stabbed. No one least, wants to be stabbed. <laughs> if you're going to kill her, at least give her a climax. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you are correct, sir. Uh, very, very much so correct. Um, okay, so it was at this point where I was like, you know what? I don't know if you watch. Have you ever seen American Horror Story? I haven't. Okay, so first off, highly recommend the show, but... It's season five, where it's season five is called Hotel, and they took a lot from this movie. 
And I noticed it when I first watched the show. I had watched that season before watching this movie, obviously. But watching this movie, I was like, you know what? This is definitely the inspiration for that season. Uh, That season takes place in a haunted hotel. The hotel is also um, home to vampires. But the main plot is that it's a detective following a serial killer who is operating on the seven deadly sins. And (laughs) in that same season, there is a, a demon of the hotel who has a drill for a dildo and he is summoned and he he fucks people to death like that's the thing so seeing that it was much much worse than this movie i was like you know what at least at least they lived in american horror story because this guy completely murdered this girl (laughs) yeah this is intense i don't know i didn't know how to feel about it i was still just a wee boy when i saw it and i was like man (laughs) I, I never want to be in a relationship with anyone. <laughs> so you got to like check check their house and everything. It's like, all right, so you don't have any like, you know, bladed dildos here, do you? Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, what's that movie where the woman like has blades in her? Uh, oh, um, was it was it teeth? Yeah, it's like teeth or something, and they just <laughs> she ruin ruin men's life. Oh God. I'm glad I didn't watch those during my hormonal teen phase. I'm yeah, glad I stuck not, to. It's not what you want to be doing. No. Then again, no, I'm just kidding. But then again, <laughs> yeah, there's probably people out there into it. Yeah. Um, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are not kink shaming on this podcast, but do not murder people. That's that is my that is my PSA for today. Yeah, do what you like as long as everyone's okay in the end. Consent everybody consent is key yes so after that we we get the pride these bodies are coming more and more but uh pride again this is like my uh, besides greed this is probably my second favorite because this one felt like saw and i actually do like that first saw movie but this one here was like he gave her a choice and she still killed herself (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the lady she just she couldn't live with being ugly plastic surgery is a thing lady you could just you know, stitch, stitch right up. Like it doesn't, it's not that bad, but yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all a little ugly. It's okay. Yeah. But no, she said, I'm I'm out. I quit. Yeah. She had, she, she was done. Yes, man. He completely, so he completely cut up her face and then bandaged it up. Then told her to either call for help and live the rest of your life ugly, which Again, I say plastic surgery, but, you know, there's not really a defined, like, time of year or time period of this movie. So it could be, like, in the 70s, technically. I mean, there are cell phones, but it's kind of, like, very old cell phones. Like, even for 1995, those would be old cell phones. So Yeah, I mean, you got all sorts of ugly people out there in the world. <laughs> they can find love, live life, live a good life. Yeah, but nope, she took the sleeping pills and said, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I quit. Thus proving the point of a serial killer, which, you know, I actually do. I like the, another part that I like this death because um, you rarely see pride associated with women. Usually it's men. But the fact that it was a woman here, you know, I don't know if it's quote unquote progressive or like it, I like that it was just a different point of view. Because like I said, I'm used to seeing like, you know, lust is usually a woman, but here it's two is a man and a woman. And here we have pride. And I'm like, all right, so it's a dude. Because I'm just, you know, media, pop culture out there, usually pride is associated with men, especially, like, 
powerful corporal men. But here it's it's a woman and she's she's thinks very highly of herself and paid the price for it. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I never really thought of it like that. I totally agree. Yeah. So after that, uh things definitely start to ramp up here. They are they are really confused and trying to find who this guy is and he just ups and turns himself in. They, they they start calling him John Doe, but shortly after he just says, you know, I'm I like that I like to see they're walking up the stairs. He just goes detective, and turns around and everybody just starts screaming. And it's like, oh, all right then. <laughs> yeah, he uh he wanted to be found here. He had everything planned so perfectly. Every like things had to go perfectly for this. Like I don't know what I don't know what would he. I don't know what he would have done if things just slightly went wrong. Like, I don't know. So here's a question for you. If that lady who died from pride had just picked up the phone and called and saved herself, what would he have done? Exactly. Like, then again, he is just kind of like Hannibal. He is able to convince a guy to like, you know, sex a girl to death, but still it's kind of like, what if he just said no and decided to die? Like, would would he have done it himself? Yeah, I mean, these people all just proved his point. He felt more validated. Yeah, but, yeah, you're right. Like, man, just what, what, you know, what if one of the variables just didn't add up? Variables didn't add up for him. And, again, I think of, I think of the Dark Knight because it's the same kind of thing there. Um, you know, the Joker, everything had to go completely right in order for his plan slash not plan to work like you know the joker was working off of something more of just like chaos so he didn't really have a plan he just kind of set up situations but again the situation had to be set up perfectly and the dominoes had to fall perfectly in order for him to you know create chaos so yeah the joker heavily relied on like human nature to just kind of do its thing yeah and it still proved him proved him right and the same goes here like just everything went extremely perfectly yeah at least there was batman to stop him in the end but nobody was out looking for brad pitt or looking out for brad pitt no and it's so sad so sad so yeah let's get to this final this final part here i do like i do like how when they they bring him in they realize okay so the reason they couldn't find any fingerprints that match is because he cuts his off whenever they grow whenever the skin grows back painful uh uh, and then he gets the the lawyer to blackmail them into escorting him to the last two bodies, which would be wrath and envy. And I didn't see, I you know, again, I know the ending, but I didn't see all this coming while watching it. So I was like, for some reason, I just wasn't connecting it until we got to the 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 field, and I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, and I told myself before coming on here that I wasn't gonna reenact the what's in the box scene. <laughs> Maybe you should. I'd like to hear it. <laughs> uh, I think the world the world's had enough. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> What's in the box? Uh, <laughs> it's it's so intense. Like this last part is so intense. It it I I just really was you know, like I said, David Fincher, very detailed director, but when he ramps things up, he definitely ramps things up and it's like, oh wow, it snuck up on me there. But I was so like I I kind of stopped taking notes while watching. I was like, Jesus Christ, he had the power to do that? Like he could just yeah. blackmail the lawyer. And then I like how the lawyer was just so defensive toward him. Like, I know you're getting paid for this, but like this guy killed like 
five people, dude. Like, lawyer's gonna lawyer, man. I guess so. But um, another thing I didn't see coming was that. Uh, so when we get to the spot, he calls himself. He calls himself out and starts like rambling on. Like I do like the mental, not the mental. I do like the verbal sparring in the car, and you know. It was a lot of it was a lot of jargon, honestly. I couldn't really follow too much or like really break down what they were saying. But I I do like those type of things in movies, especially this kind of movie where it's like, you know, one person says something something cryptic, other person says something cryptic back, and it's kind of like, all right, I get the point. But man, when you get to that field and he starts like calling himself out about how he's envy and how he envies uh, Mills's life, I was like, oh, oh no, oh no, he's the final <laughs> body. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, this dude was dedicated to it all. He was a firm believer in everything that he practiced. Uh, uh, one moment that I had to like stop and think was like, all right, so there's a line that the, I believe the, the, the captain says, he says, um, when they found him, they found three types of blood on him. They found the blood from his fingers when he cut off his uh, fingerprints. They found the blood of the lady whose face he cut off, which was pride. And then they found a third set of blood that hasn't been identified yet immediately right. spooky and i was thinking like man if people if, if i didn't know the ending and i saw this at a theater and that line jumped out to me people would lose their minds because that's it, it's a pretty big line honestly you can't miss it so like imagine hearing that line and then just like 10 minutes later having that review and it's like oh no yeah the first time i heard it i think i thought it was his dog I thought it was one of the dogs, and then I really pieced it together, and I was like, oh, no, R.I.P. Gwyneth. Uh, again, she can't catch a break. Man, so yeah, we get the, uh, he goes out in the field, and they start, they see the van pull up, and I, I you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to recount this whole entire thing, but it, it's so interesting, and, you know, you got the helicopter doing the little long shots and everything. And the guy, uh, you know, he gets out the van. He's like, look, 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 I'm just a delivery guy. Don't shoot me. <laughs> he hands him the box. He cuts open the box. Again, we never see any of the gruesome, like, stuff happening. But the fact that we never see her head in the box was like, I found it. I found it weird because, you know, nowadays I'm used to, like, you know, we should be able to see it. But here, we don't see it. It's just, like, his reaction. His reaction is like, oh, God. Just that suspense he builds with it. And you're like, oh, no. You're like, I know what's in the box, and why can it not be in the box? Like, I wish the box was filled with like a puppy, yeah, a live live puppy, <laughs> a live puppy, like you know, just some something else, like something else. But the fact that it was revealed to be Tracy Gwyneth Paltrow's character, it's insane. And again, he calls himself out of being envy, and the fact that envy creates wrath is another great concept honestly that he immediately knew how to drive him and that you know if i'm going to be envy then because you were able to match me that one time and i guess honestly it's kind of petty but because he was able to match him that one time he is going to end up being wrath and the only one to survive this like honestly like only one of the victims to survive and i find that extremely interesting here do you have anything to say real quick just that this man he reads humans better than like anybody. He knew what everyone was gonna do. He knew what motivated everyone, what they were gonna do. I need this man to like tell my fortune. <laughs> Will I live in 2020? No, no. Will any of us make it out? <laughs> Will any of us make it? We have one month left. Well, 
Um, <laughs> another part that because you know it's so intense, and you know sometimes you know people respond with laughter. I laughed out loud because Morgan Freeman backhands the crap out of him to tell him to shut up before he finds out when he finds out that Tracy was in the box. And I was like, you know what? Just imagine being openly backhand pimp slapped by Morgan Freeman. Like, <laughs> I'd love to be. That'd be like, the, the peak of my life. Oh, like just <laughs> like that. That image in my head is just like, wow. Only Morgan Freeman could. Only, only Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I maybe mean, Judy Dench. When I meet new people, that'd be the first thing I tell them. Be like, "My name's Adam, and I've been bitch slapped by Morgan Freeman." Yes, <laughs> it's the most perfect thing. <laughs> Just wow. But uh, so yes, Mills shoots John Doe, and John Doe ends up winning, and that's kind of the end of the movie. Like it just it ends on a very dark note. Literally, it's nighttime, and he's he's in the back of a police car, and it's like, oh god. Although my question at the end of the movie was like, so does the guy that, you know, fuck that girl to death, does, does he get arrested for murder or like, how does that work in the legal system? I don't think he does. I mean, he's just got to live with what happened his whole life, which I think is torture enough. Yeah, and it's extremely sad. But yeah, it's a very, very downer ending. Uh, the alternate endings for this, though, it's like, like we said, they wanted the dog, the dog, or they wanted um, they wanted kind of like a Reservoir Dogs ending, where uh, hmm, I'm trying to think here. Um, I'm trying to remember what exactly what it was, but I believe it's that Mills shoots John Doe, and somehow no, John. I think it's Somerset shoots John Doe, and after oh, finding out what Mills happens, could do it. yeah, and then after finding out. Mills would shoot uh, Somerset, and I think that's kind of how they wanted it to end, or the studio specifically. But the writer, the director, and the actors wanted the original ending that was in the script, which was <laughs> uh, living with a dead wife. So that's yeah. I mean, it's an iconic ending. If the movie just yeah. wouldn't be the same, it wouldn't be what it is without that ending. Yeah, this definitely drives home the point of the movie, which is like you know evil is out there and sometimes it wins because you know we're all sinners it's in some way shape or form i do and think there's light at the end of the tunnel at this movie though like at you, the end there's you you do yeah i think morgan freeman you know he thinks because he stays on to be a cop he was gonna retire but after this case he decides to stay on and keep doing what he's doing because he feels like it, people are worth fighting for Okay, I get I get that there. Yeah. So that's like kind of the uplifting message there, as weird as it sounds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You make a good point there, but man, ugh. look, if it was me, I would. My resignation is there that night. Like I'm gone. I'm off to L.A. But I understand what you mean there. He he does he does. But is okay. My question is: Is it the right thing? Or I mean, then again, this movie doesn't necessarily deal with right and wrong very much, even though it is literally about sin. But they kind of they do gray the line, but him staying on as a cop because he now gets that reassurance that people are worth fighting for, is that the right thing to do after going through all this? Seeing as how he's the only one that survived and he kind of he knew going into this case it was going to be a beast. I think he knows that he can help. You know, and there's not 
like there's not a lot of people out there that can, but he can do something and like actively be a benefit to society. All right, I get, I, yeah, I can get, I can get behind that. So, um, really quickly, um, Adam, I think it's obvious, but just to reassure the audience out there, do you recommend Seven? Why or why not? Oh, of course. If you're looking, well, here's the thing. If you're looking for a great movie that holds your attention the whole time, that's got a bunch of twists, even though we kind of just spoiled everything here for people, Yeah. then watch this movie. If you don't want to watch a good movie, don't watch this. All right. So simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So I, I agree. This was this was my first time finally watching the movie. Although I knew the ending because it is so iconic, this movie still captured me and it still gripped me, especially at the end there. And I love th- I love talking about obviously I love talking about the 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 philosophy and the just the the motivations of these characters like. It's one of those movies, those rare movies, where it feels balanced. And, you know, David Fincher does this thing uh, where he kind of switches perspectives often. Um, uh, Go back to Zodiac. That movie, like, halfway through the movie, you leave Jake Gyllenhaal's perspective and go over to Mark Ruffalo's perspective, and then it switched back. And I had a problem with that because I was like, it feels like two different movies. But here, because he kind of flip-flops throughout the movie it feels more balanced and it feels less chaotic and yet you get a bigger impact because you feel for both characters. Uh, even Gone Girl, I feel, I feel has the same effect. You know, you start off with uh, Ben Affleck's perspective and then you go over to Rosamund Pike's perspective and then it switches back again. So for this movie, I thought, you know, it's, a, it's incredible. It's, I, I love it. I, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, but I did see a tweet before we was recorded and someone tweeted out on film Twitter. It was like, is, you know, what is David Fincher's best film? So I'm going to ask you, uh, Adam, you know, I know you probably have bias towards this movie, but, you know, based on other movies that you have seen, if you've seen his other movies, you know, is, do you think seven is his best movie? I would say that, Probably. I'm a big Zodiac fan. I know you're not the huge, the biggest fan of it, but yeah, it's not even necessarily like the movie itself that I love. I just I love the story of the Zodiac and I've done a lot of research on it my whole life. And it's just been a, it's a super intriguing topic to me. So the movie like kind of stands out to me a bit more than like it would to your average person. Yeah. Um, but I think Seven edges it out still just because it was my first david fincher movie i watched and it was such like a religious experience because it's like i'd never seen anything like it and it's something that's always going to be ingrained in my mind Alrighty, yeah man it's it's such a tough question for me because like my favorite out of all of david fincher's movies is gone girl and that's just because it's i think the story is in capture it captures me I was going to say something else, but there's the story there it captures me and I like the characters. Um, but I feel like if we're looking at his directed films, I feel that David, I feel like seven is his most, maybe his most thought out, most intimate. And I think, cause I, even though I don't like Zodiac, I think that movie is directed very well. It's, it's he, again, he really put in a lot of work and information in that movie but I feel this one kind of pays, it kind of has much more of a payoff. 
And so I struggle with like, so what? what is his best movie? I don't, because I love Gone Girl, I, I, I will admit, I don't think that is his best but uh, I'm struggling here. I don't know what what his best movie is. Yeah, you know, I don't think you can go wrong, really. I mean, the, he's got some great movies: Fight Club, Gone Girl, Zodiac, Seven, of yeah. course, all those. I mean, I think it's really a toss-up based on like which style you kind of prefer. Um, yeah. Which story yeah. kind of grips you the most? I think any of them have a very fair argument. Yeah, they're all such. Yeah, I, I like what you said there because they all have such a defined style and message to all those movies so you get like you really do get different sides of david fincher with his movies especially if you watch them in close proximity with each other like you know they look the same they all have the same like visual style but they all say different things which is amazing because usually you get the director saying the same thing multiple times i'm looking at you tarantino love your movies (laughs) but we get it you love movies too but David Fincher really does take the time to talk about something, and I love that. Oh, yeah. There's uh, nuance in each one of his movies. Yes. So uh, I'm going to leave it as I recommend Seven. Um, I will say Seven is one of my favorites. I will probably put it second. I w- Here's what I'll say. I'll say my top three for David Fincher would be Gone Girl, The Social Network. I would put Fight Club above this one. And then uh, seven would round out that list there. I think that's is that four or five. I think it's four. Four. I'll leave it. At, I'll leave it. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Those are my top four. And then, uh, you know, I respect the other ones. And there's just some I haven't seen yet. Like I haven't seen Alien Three. I haven't seen The Game. But I, I love the other ones. And I know he has a he has another movie coming out on Netflix later this year that I'm interested in watching. But um, so yeah, that's where I'll leave it. Um, do you want to rank your favorites if of the ones you've seen or just your you know your top favorites? Yeah, um, I think you may have had five actually. I think I take back that four. Man, it's just it's it's tough. I'm in the same boat you're in. I would probably, if you were to sit me down on the couch and say you have to pick one David Fincher movie to watch, it would be Seven. So in that case, I suppose Seven would be first, and then I'd go Zodiac, and then Gone Girl. And then Fight Club, and then the Social Network. Yeah. So yeah, five. Yeah. So we 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 roughly have the same list, just different tiers. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Zodiac would be at the bottom of mine, and then above that would be. See, I'm now I'm switching things around because I love I love all these movies. Honestly, I love all I love them all. I'm yeah, a little tough on Zodiac, but I love them all. So. I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. So yeah, man, thank you for coming on the podcast. This is like your first episode uh thanks a lot yeah man thanks for having me anytime and i love having new voices and new perspectives on here on the podcast um and i love i i like reconnecting with you bro we again we go way back and it's fun to talk about movies with you thank you man i likewise it was good chat and i like talking about film with someone else who appreciates them as well definitely definitely um all yeah again one one last thank you but like thank you for introducing me to this movie again i've known about this movie but it took you to finally get me to really you just needed that little bit of motivation yes and you provided that for me sir and i will i will be forever in your debt for that (laughs) because i really did love this movie i i really did um yeah so just a little outro here uh thanks for listening guys 
Um, if you want more of the Murderboard podcast, you can find us on Instagram at Murderboard underscore pod and on Twitter at Murderboard the. There you can ask questions and leave comments. Uh, feel free to request anything you want us to talk about in the future. Don't forget to share the podcast with family and friends. You can find us on most of your favorite podcast networks, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and right here on the Anchor Podcast. Also consider supporting the podcast and helping sustain future episodes such as this by hitting the support slash link down below in the show notes. Look for new episodes on Fridays and Sundays, and we will catch you again on the murder board.